we have a new UFC welterweight champion. It's Sunday, August 21st. UFC 278 was last night. These are the next day takeaways. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Happy Sunday morning to you. I am E. Spencer Kite, as always, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. That is not the usual co-host, Mr. Harry Powell. He is on vacation. He is relaxing. We gave him the week off, and we tagged in the fabulous Ian O'Neill, who got a, who set an alarm on a Sunday morning to get up, do some review, join me on the show. I oh, I appreciate you, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Spencer. You know, uh, I have to to settle myself. I'm sure is what you <laughs> had to do this morning and kind of gather my thoughts before we came on here. But I'm delighted to be on. I'm delighted to be able to. Uh, you know, share some thoughts and and uh, and kind of opinions on a really really crazy night in the world of mixed martial arts. You know, we were talking before uh, the podcast and we started to record, and we said, you know, we might have been having a different conversation for this podcast today if you know if the result didn't play out the way it did in the main event. Um, you know, we. You know, we ask ourselves sometimes, why do we do this or why do we follow every every, every week? We watch the shows, we, we do an abundance of writing, you're, you're writing like hell every week. We're doing our preview show, people from the outside in saying, what are these guys that? Are these guys crazy? Sometimes, like I said, we ask ourselves that. Sometimes but, we are, yes. Sometimes we are, but you know what? For what happened last night and everything around it and all the emotions and all the drama, and, and all the stories that are going to come from last night, what we've seen is exactly why we do it. And what we, and, and, and that upset, if you want to call it from Ian Edwards, and it was an upset, and even more so the way the fight was going, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, that's why we do it. That's why we love mixed martial arts. Um, it's for that crazy moments. It's that holy fuck moment that we were all had our hands in our hands last night and looking around and nobody could believe what's happening. No one could process what's happening. It was just absolutely craziness and uh, I absolutely love it. I, I'm still not. I'm still not right after it. I mean, it's crazy. I can't wait to break down the fight and get into it with you. Yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Leon Edwards comes out in the fifth round with. 56 seconds remaining. He is down three rounds. Looks like Kamaru Usman is cruising on his way to a decision. And I don't mean cruising in the sense of like, he's not working. He's not doing anything. He's he's clearly taking his foot off. I just mean, after the first round where, where Edwards had some success, had some moments, scored a takedown, climbs into mount, takes the back. Good first round for the challenger. Usman comes out and says, oh, you want to do the wrestling? Dominates the next three rounds, is is clearly on his way to victory. We get a reset from a low blow, and with 56 seconds left, Leon Edwards kicks him in the head. It's the only way I can describe it that is the simplest way I can describe it. There's much more to it. We will get into the lovely technique of it here in a moment. But kicks him in the head, and Kamaru Usman is just out. It's an, it's an instant shot. It isn't one of those, is he going to be able to survive? It is baseball bat sounds, and we're done, and we have a new champion. Leon Edwards snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Instantly to me, I went, Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen. That's what that felt like to me was, here's the outcome that we all know we're having. And I mean, the broadcast was was talking about, this is a broken man. This is a defeated man that is going to be happy to 
accept a, at least I didn't get finished loss. And instead we get the little reset off the illegal low, off the illegal kick, bit of a low blow from Leon Edwards, kicking Kamaru Usman in, in the junk, not intentional or anything like that. These things happen in MMA, as Harry would love to say. Border lane shot too. Border lane well. shot too. Looked like it cut the, caught the, the belt line. And, and on that reset, it looked like Edwards kind of just went, well, fuck it. I got 90 seconds. I need to just snap in here and, and focus in here. I got 90 seconds. And then, good Lord, did he land a beautiful shot. What were you, what was your reaction? What was your – you mentioned hand in, head and hands. What I was, was – like, I mean, this – how how I kind of describe moments or kind of analyze moments – I think at this stage is based off my reaction because you like me, Spencer, we've watched a hell of a lot of fights in our time. You know what I mean? And sometimes we can get desensitized um, at certain actions, at certain finishes. I, I'm not going to lie to you. If I was sitting in press row last night, if I had been recording this live, <laughs> I would have been very, very, very unprofessional because I was up on my feet. For me, there was two reactions. Um, there was the reaction at the initial shot and, and the impact of it landing for me, that got me up off my feet. And what drive me up, drove me absolutely insane after the fact was Kamara Usman's reaction, which was he was done. He was out. And you could tell instantly he was out. Leon could tell instantly he was out. And Herb Dean as well could tell instantly that he was out and there was no coming back. There was going to be no recovery. That was it. That was done. And I guess like, you know, the way the fight had played out kind of just maybe added to the theatrics of it all. Now, people, and I'm not sure, I came into this completely blind. I don't want to read anybody's opinions. I didn't want to see what anyone had to say about this. If anyone was calling it a lucky shot for Leon Edwards, forget about it. Because if you go back, and let's let's go through the fight, if you go back and watch the the first kind of exchange of the fight when they both face off each other inside the cage for the first time, Edwards is already fainting that kick from the very first bell. So he's trying to take reads from Kamaru uh, on, on where he can get that off. We've seen him use that kick before. It's lightning quick, you know, and he was obviously trying to goad Usman into that kick and to get it off because you know, I think at this stage, and maybe we said it on the preview, it was probably going to take something like that to get someone of Kamara Usman's ability out of there. But, you know, he decided to throw those fans. He was looking for it earlier on. So so to have the patience to remain and then to get it off in, in round five was absolutely beautiful to see. But, you know, another big question, Spencer, that we had coming into this fight was, you know, was Kamara Usman going to be uh, wanting to stand and bang and trade with Leon Edwards and and, and play with fire somewhat. Uh, 90 seconds into the fight, we got the answer to that because he was in for the double leg. He was in to try and take the fight down. And I thought Leon Edwards, you know, looking back at the fight this morning, was a lot more in this fight than I remember watching live, to be honest. Um, even though he, ha he was down on the scorecards. Um, you know, I think he's... Leon's... Uh, work against the cage was was very good using a double wrist lock to try and kind of control Kamara Usman's uh, wrist to to stop the double leg takedown. We've seen Israel Adesanya do that time and time again. Um, 
And I think that Leon Edwards really impressed in the grappling department. That inside or the outside trip that he landed in round one as well. Not alone did it get the first takedown of Usman's career, right. but, but to get the first takedown of his career and immediately to land in mount position in a really dominant position was a real kind of an exclamation mark. And, you know, that was where the message was laid down, I think, from Ian Edwards to Usman, especially in the early stages of the fight, was you're not getting it easy tonight, man. You are not getting it easy. I'm going to fight my life out to try and get this win here. So, I mean, there were some early signs that, you know, Leon Edwards could get some confidence in, at the start of the fight. And, you know, you probably I would have scored the first round for Leon. I'm not sure how you would have scored the first round for him, would you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you move into Mount, you immediately present him with the dilemma of we can hang out here and I'll smash you in the face, or you can give up your back and I'll start hunting for chokes. Usman, of course, gives up his back and, and Edward spends the last 60 seconds kind of fishing, looking to see if he can land something, gets over the jaw, never gets under the chin, things like that. Certainly gave the round to Edwards. And the thing that was interesting to me after that round is that Usman, you, you saw the championship sort of presence of Kamaro Usman after that round, right? Okay, this guy came out and, and he goes to the corner and, and Trevor Whitman for those moments is perfect, right? Just there's no, hey, that was a bad round. We gave that one away, any of that. It's just, are we having fun? This is about building. We're going to take it to this mf -er. And Kamaru Usman comes out and says, okay, you had your moment. Now here are mine. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily about, and this is a thing that I don't, necessarily think people understand and i get why it's not exciting i get why people don't understand it don't want to see it but just the ability and we'll talk about it more with marab dwalashvili later on in the show just the ability to dictate that pressure and dictate that it's a presence on somebody it's a physical like weight of them both coming at you and then weighing on you in that clinch where you're constantly stuck defending. So the takedowns may not be there and the big slams may not be there and there may not look like there's a lot of work, but that is hard, grueling work. And we saw it take its toll on Leon Edwards, who starts, I'm not going to say breaking, because obviously I don't think a broken man can land that kick in the fifth round. <laughs> yeah. But like you saw him wilting. You saw him just succumbing to that presence and that pressure. And to me, it was about the pace of Usman, who trains at altitude, who has done five rounds. And, and it's not just the five-round experience. It's the championship fight experience. It's the bells and whistles. And we did all of fight week, and we've gone through all the media, and I've had to look this man in the eye seven times this week for different photo opportunities. And cool, now I can come out here and fight exactly the way that I want to fight and impose my will on this dude. And for Edwards to to find it late in this fight the way he did is just amazing. It it really is. And I mean, I think the broadcast kind of goes overboard a little bit as they do in that immediate reactionary moment of this is the greatest head kick ever and the greatest comeback ever. And it's part of why we do a show called the next day takeaways because it's good to sleep on these things and kind of get a little bit of give yourself that, you know, the adrenaline's gone, the the in the moment is gone, and we can think about them a little bit. But it was yeah. a hell of a kick. Unreal. Man. Like, I it mean, it was a hell of a kick. It was unbelievable. Like, you know, 
there was we got to the stage in the fight where Leon was running out of answers for the questions that Usman was asking. Yep. Okay, when you go back to that first round when Leon did find himself on his back, he used the scissor sweep excellently to kind of create that space and to create that scramble and, and you know, then he, he was able to post up and get up as well, which I thought was excellent, you know. But Kamar Usman came back in round two like solid with the jab moving forward was really winning that footwork battle and you know it was that was pivotal in the way the fight was going because when kamar usman did find the ability to move forward and to land that job jab it forced leon to move on the back foot and then usman was trying to to get him up get his back against the cage and and he was successful in rounds two and three where he was landing flurries, was landing good shots to the body, he was landing elbows, and then he also had that takedown in his back pocket. And it was clear to me that Usman didn't really have the confidence to kind of take Leon Edwards down in the middle of the cage. But what he wanted to do was get him backpedaling, get his ass against the cage, land those shots, and then come in with the double leg takedown. But I thought Leon did tremendously well to defend um it was in round three really when i felt that the wrestling was really starting to take over for kamara usman um you know he went and faked you like you excellently kind of predicted on the preview show this week what usman likes to do is you know he liked the level change he liked to touch the knee he liked to fake that takedown he did that in round three but leon didn't take his leg out of there at all so right. usman was going to oblige of course and he just got such an easy takedown. And at that stage, I was like, that was a little bit too easy. And, you know, in Leon's case there, he could have completely folded there and he could have completely broken. I wouldn't say that Leon, and the, look at the, the commentary team were saying it. A lot of people were saying it. That's the narrative that they were trying to set is that Edwards was broken. I wouldn't necessarily say that he was broken. It wasn't too far away from it, but he was definitely a guy who was running out of answers for the right. questions that Usman was asking. And it was like, it was going to have to be something that he produced in order for him to get the win. And he just fucking did it. It was unbelievable. <laughs> the corner for for Leon Edwards, and you know, you mentioned with Whitman as well, you know, did an excellent job. There was yeah. no panic. There was there was no stress and it was all calm. It was all Trevor Whitman esque cornering. Uh, and know, on the other like, side, it was all panic. Side, it was, it like, was oh, all energy, oh, and it needed and it, it needed, needed to, to be. be right. Like Dave Lovell goes out and just gets in his ass. Yeah, yeah. Third yeah. round, fourth round, gets in his ass, and that's the thing where Dean Thomas then comes on the broadcast and says, "Look, this is the sign of a broken man. He's not looking his coach in the eye. He's ashamed." And Dave addressed that in the corner and said, "Look, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop." being embarrassed like just get out there that certainly and i mean i've never been in a corner i've never had anybody shouting at me like that i can tell you you're going to do one of two things you're either going to fold or you're going to still stand in there and leon edwards still stood in there like when i think of broken fighters i think of guys that are actively looking for ways out that the minute the pressure comes they're folding up and they're going home and they're covering up when you're like well that didn't seem like it it landed as hard as it did they're just looking for an exit and he wasn't looking for exits as you said he didn't have a lot of answers he felt to me like a guy that was just frustrated that was just stymied right mm -hmm. and sometimes that happens you do all the right things in training you do you have all the prep and this other dude is just better than you you yeah, just you, can't you... do anything with him and that's what it felt like to me was just like god this guy really is as good as 
everybody says and he says, what do I do? And then he did that. Yeah, and it was like, you know, just to piggyback off the, the, him being not broken as well, Look, the, the prime example was at the start of the fifth round as well when Usman was shooting in for that double leg again and was deep in on it, and it took a lot for Edwards to try and, and defend that at that time. A broken man would have accepted right. that takedown. Just takes it. And yep. a broken man probably would have found his way out of there in round five. But Edwards stayed the pace, defended the takedown, nullified it, and Herb Dean, probably, probably the most memorable separation that there, that there ever will be separated, and rightfully so, I think. That was, yes. a, just, that was a justified yep. separation, and one that I would like to see a little bit more often as well inside the octagon. But, um, you know, partially, if you want to call it Edward's downfall throughout the fight, or, or where the fight seemed to be slipping away from him, you know, it was obviously that cardio base. Um, the the altitude at Salt Lake City seemed to be affecting all the fighters. You know, even even with the likes of Edwards and Usman, who didn't appear to be gassing, but from what we've seen on previous fights, were extremely tired going into that fifth right. round. Even Usman as well. You know, his hands over Whitman in the corner, taking some deep breaths. You know, we've not seen Usman breathe that heavy in a long, long time inside the octagon. Um, Edwards' ability to sweep when he got taken down was gone. Obviously, the strength in his legs had, had kind of subsided a little bit. Um, you know, he was still managing to do so, but maybe more so based off that Usman was getting maybe a little bit tired as well as him. But, you know, that kind of raw technique that he was using at the start of the fight to get back to his feet, it was kind of gone towards the end of the fight, which was understandable. It's a grueling, grueling fight. Right. And, you know just to pull that the way he did and it was like what you said when 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 the low blow came when she was on the borderline it must have been th that little bit of a conversation with leon yep. to himself saying i i have 90 seconds to go here and he was he was fainting before that break he was trying to get something off but usman was giving him nothing and it's crazy to think, Spencer, you know, one point that we focused on with Leon Edwards um, kind of on the preview show was our worry at Leon's kind of like fault at kind of switching off at times and not yep. being fully tuned on. And I thought that, you know, that hindered him in the Nate Diaz fight when he got rocked. And we were worried that that was going to be the case here. But we were worried around about the wrong person because it was just that small little bit of loss in concentration, that little bit of tiredness creeping in where you're going to get a little bit complacent on the feet. And we could see it before the break and we saw it a little bit after that Usman in his tired nature was circling towards the kick, was circling circling towards the, 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 the power side of Leon Edwards. And the setup for the kick the setup was, was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was pumping out that jab to get to get to, to get that right hand going. He made created the illusion. He pumped out the jab, faked the jab, got Camaro moving into his power side, faked with the left, came over with the head kick. The idea that he would create it in Camaro Usman's head that he was going to fake the jab, come in with the right hand, which got Usman trying to slip out of the way of that, came over the top with that kick, and the rest is history. And that's what it was. We witnessed history. Where were you? Is the question <laughs> that people will be asking themselves when Kamar Usman run was finished by Leon Edwards. I think the drama of the fight, the 
the fact that he was down in the cards, the fact that everybody was counting him out before the fight and then during the fight, it just added all to the drama of the finish. And it was one and done. And so we had a new welterweight world champion and it was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Anybody that wants to throw the, oh, he landed a lucky shot, go and watch the replay of the actual finish. Watch the setup. He throws out the left hand to occupy the hand. He paused with the jab, puts the left hand out there to occupy the hands, get him moving away, dips his head. Beautiful kick, same side, same side high kick. Just an absolutely beautiful shot. And, and a no doubter. One of those ones where you're just like, yep, we're done here. And he gets to celebrate, and he's the new champion. And now we've got to talk trilogy fight. Now we've got to talk, do it all over again. Leon said going into the week, and credit to him, he understood this. I'm going to have to beat this guy twice in order to cement my position, in order to cement my standing. Dana White gave me heart palpitations after the event by suggesting Wembley. Now I understand that the weather in London doesn't really condone doing a stadium show anytime probably before about july and august but then it may be too damn hot even in july and august, <laughs> and even in july and august over that, that uk Listen, and irish weather man it's... as somebody that lives in the canadian southwest near the pacific northwest i understand fully about it can rain at any time and i don't care about your plans but I had that little moment. I had that little heart skip a beat moment of like, oh my God, would that be great? Even better. I like yeah. the idea of, of doing, of giving the new champ home court advantage. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're going to do that and you want to do that, you know, it might necessarily be in, in, in London or, or anything like that, but you could do the Cardiff stadium, which has a lovely roof that you can uh, put over the stadium where you don't have to worry about weather at all. 90,000 people. I'm not saying they'd fill it out or anything like that, but if you pawn a good enough card, I mean, you could fill it out. I mean, there's there's plenty of talent there. You just absolutely stack and put on a pay-per-view event, do the same as what you did with the Manchester show when Bisping defended against uh, Dan Henderson. I mean, um, that's I'd love to see that too. And I think, you know, after everything that Leon Edwards has been through, it's the least that he deserves. The road that he's had to come to get to this title shot all the shit and all the doubt he's had to take from everybody, including myself. You know, I was a big, big doubter coming in here. Um, all the credit in the world to Leon Edwards. I mean, it's not a guy who who came back from behind to me. It's a guy who, who remained and kept that belief in himself, remained patient and, and had confidence in his ability. And, and that's the product of the results that we seen last night. Not anything, not anything lucky, not anything undeserved. He fully deserves that. And he fully deserves to have that belt around his waist this morning. And it's just, you know, behind everything else, it's a feel good story for him. It's what it's something, you know, I was worried for Leon if, if things didn't work out for him tonight. I was worried that he was going to fall off a cliff. And we kind of talked about it a little bit like off camera after a preview show, Whereas, like, you build yourself up to this moment, and then if you have that big, massive letdown, it's hard to come back from. And it's going, and it was going to be hard for him to come back if he lost against Usman last night because he had already lost to him again. And he was going to have to go through the doldrums again to even be considered for another title shot if he, if he was unsuccessful. So 
I mean, we don't have to worry about that now. <laughs> right. <laughs> we definitely don't have to worry about now. And it's all about when. It's all about the story of what was going on with Usman. Is 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 he believing in himself a little bit too too much? Has the work slipped a little bit? Is he concentrating too much going and and and, and being in this Black Panther movie and and other distractions and everything like that? It's fair to say, but. I don't know whether I believe it or not because the man was winning before he was yeah. Night. It also feels like he just got caught. Yes. And and he posted last night, like sometimes some essentially sometimes this shit happens, but we'll rebuild and we'll do it again. And I'm sure they will. I wanted to get your opinion. To me, this this outcome, and I'm not just playing the results here. Well, I am a little bit. This is why you just booked this fight three years ago two years ago. It's why you don't go through, to me, the second Masvidal fight with Usman, and even the second Covington fight with Usman, when they haven't won anything. I think they had one win between them, in between their championship fights, and that was Colby beating beating Tyron Woodley. Meanwhile, you have Leon Edwards sitting here, was on an eight-fight winning streak, gets the no contest with Bilal, gets the win over Diaz, had the three or four attempts to make the Chimaev fight. Like I know that not all fights are going to play out. Like every version of this fight isn't going to play out this way, but it was competitive throughout. And and we saw the, we saw Leon be in there and, and be competitive in this matchup, which is something that Jorge Masvidal can't say at this point, Colby Covington, a hundred percent can, but to me, this is this is one of those, like, I know it's not the biggest name. I know he's not the flashiest fighter. But the results are there and the merit is there. Just make it and see what happens. Because even coming into this week, a lot of people were still kind of like, it's a 6 out of 10 at best in terms of excitement. While I was over here screaming and yelling that finally my guy's getting a shot because it's been a long road and he's been waiting for three years. But to me, this is why you just go forward and make the fight that makes sense. It sort of fits in almost with the Valentina Shevchenko and Tyler Santos fight, right? It's just the correct next person up and you see what happens because sometimes we get shit like this that now you have a trilogy fight that everybody wants to see. People are 100% in. They are counting down the days right now like I said in, in 10 things that we learned, please don't make me wait. Like I don't want to wait till till March in London, which makes a lot of sense. Like there's a lot of reasons why that would be the exact good timeline. Everybody gets some time to heal and recover and enjoy and celebrate and whatever. And we could do a big show. But like if you could get me this in December, I'm in. If you could get me this fucking tonight, I'm well, all I mean, for let's it. let everybody have a little, you know, Leon, Leon may not have been to sleep yet. Yeah, that's but like, sure. this is This to me felt like this is why you just book it. Do you feel at all the same? Does it make sense to you that, that this sort of, and I know, as I said, it is sort of playing the results, right? If this is one-sided and ugly, people maybe say, well, we didn't need to see that after all. But like, I kind of just feel like this is why when guys work their way up, men and women work their way up the ladder, give them the shot that they've earned and let's see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, you know what? 
win or lose for Leon Edwards, you know, that was the fight that needed to happen anyway, no matter what the outcome was going to be. Um, the time he had to wait to get in there, the experiences that he been, have been through, you know, you always hear fighters saying things happen for a reason and maybe this just happened for a reason yep. and the wait and, and the journey he was on. Like we remember going back to March 2020 and he was scheduled to headline an event in London before the pandemic and that was against Tyron Woodley and that and a win against Tyron Woodley at the time would have almost all but secured him a, sh a shot at the title and obviously that fell through at the last minute he was offered a chance to come over to the states and had to turn it down visa reasons family issues you know and all of this stuff was out of Leon Edwards control he had no control over this pandemic he had no control if he could travel right. here there or anywhere you know there was worries that if he traveled over to the u.s that he might not get back home and when you have a family and kids at home you know those are the big questions and those are the big things that kind of you know enabled him to make the decision maybe not to take the fight at the time then you know you have those trio of fights that were set against hamza shimaev a guy who was not wanted by a lot of that top uh, top five in the welterweight division. But you know what? Leon Edwards went and he was willing to put himself on the line and his number one contendership on the line to face someone like Ham Satchimai. Not once, not twice, but three times agreed to that fight where it fell through for one reason or another. Um, You know, then moving on to the Bilal Muhammad fight, it was, you know, good to see him getting back in there. The end of that fight was an absolute disaster. It was the Nate Diaz fight then as well, you know, was comfortable enough, got rocked at the end, took a bit of criticism. If we had have had that fight, say, in October 2020, if just say he went in there and he beat Tyron Woodley. And and I think the, uh, the way Woodley was at his kind of career, it was likely that Edwards probably would have went in there and got the win, could have maybe got the title shot later that year. Kamara Usman might have been at a different stage of his career. Leon no. Edwards might have been at a different stage of his career. He mightn't have had the same amount of time to prepare. He mightn't have had the same adversity that drives you on, that gives you the motivation to prove people wrong as well. You know, I just think, okay, yes, he could have gotten it a little bit sooner, but the way it all kind of worked out and the result that we seen last night, I mean, I think if you're to ask Leon again, he, could, <laughs> he wouldn't, he wouldn't wish it to yeah. have gone any other way. To be, I, I asked him on Tuesday, and he said, "Yeah, look, it took some, it took some shifting of the mindset, but I came to." came to a point where I said this stuff happens for a reason and, and you can get better now. And so he got better. He is now the UFC welterweight champion. We go 30 minutes on the main event. We take a little reset here. God, still buzzing. Going to watch it back. Going to watch it back this afternoon. Guaranteed. Turn on my uh, my proper microphone. So I'm probably going to be there we go. A Look at that. I.O. Yeah. Sounds even better now. Get, yeah. Getting them live and in color for the rest of this. So we move to the co-main <laughs> event. Paulo Costa defeats Luke Rockholz, 30 27s across the board. We don't necessarily have to go through the fight itself because, as I said last night with Harry texting while he was on vacation, because we still just have to talk during fights. It's exhausted muscle boy fighting. Um, both guys just absolutely swinging for the fences, gassed out within, not gassed out, but just, just that exhaustion that we that we will talk about when we talk about sort of the overall of the card, but just that exhaustion, Paulo Costa landing the better of it throughout Luke Rockhold surviving through 15 minutes, having some moments of his own 
Costa gets a good win. But the big thing for me is Luke Rockhold deciding after the fight, it's time to walk away. He kind of said going in, told me going in, look, it's championship or bust. Like, I'm not here to fuck around. I don't need this sport. I'm not going to be one of these dudes that's just hanging on for a paycheck. He lost that fight and he was true to his word. Took off his gloves to Joe Amol. Can't do this shit anymore. Had some hugs, fought off some tears. What are your, I guess, overall career assessments, overall career thoughts on Luke Rockhold, who walks away? It's a three-fight winning, losing streak, excuse me, to end things. But where does he fit in terms of his generation, in terms of middleweights over the last, you know, 15, 20 years that we've been paying attention to this sport? I think for the brief moment uh, of his career over maybe a span of two or three years where he was fighting at his best ability, he should be considered as as one of the great middleweight fighters, not of all time, but definitely up there in the mix. Um, you know, his rise through strike force was, was unbelievable and coming into the UFC and, and facing the competition that he was forced to face as well. I mean the absolute beatdown he put down on on Chris Weidman was was something that will be remembered for a long time, probably for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, to, to, to break down and to be able to do something like that against Chris Weidman, who was at the top of his abilities at that time and, and, and looked pretty much untouchable, um, you know, that was a ferocious beating. You know, uh, the, the run, you know, all first-round finishes, you got... Costas Philippou, who, who who he finished with a body kick. You got the Tim Boach, who was a, a submission win. A guillotine win over Michael Bisbing. Another choke win over Yota Machida. He was going out there and he was finishing these guys. He wasn't just winning fights. And he was, without a doubt, the best middleweight in the world for, for that period of time. In my opinion, for that span of 2014 until he was ultimately clipped by that famous left hook from Michael Bisbing when he lost his, uh, his title. And it was just after that fight then, it just all fell downhill after it. You know, it was kind of over before it started and it was a drastic fall from grace after that, unfortunately for Luke. But, you know, he got the win against Dave Branch, a fight he should have been winning. And like you said, then his past three fights have all been defeats. Uh, obviously, it was a it was a tough lock, knockout loss for Joe Romero and obviously with Jan, the move up to light heavyweight didn't go all to plan for him. Um Look at his farewell fight wasn't kind of a picture perfect fight in the slightest at all. He was looking old and tired, but still dangerous and still somehow made the fight competitive for three yeah. fights as well. So, I mean, if you're going to go out the way he went out, this is not the worst way to go out. I mean, there's a hell of a lot worse ways that you yeah, can go I, out. I was going to say, I, I think the way this one ends and the way this one plays out sort of resets things a little bit for people with Luke Rockhold. Like it, it at least gives a different accounting of himself on the way out the door. Personally, I think Luke Rockhold is the best middleweight of his generation. And I don't think there's a whole lot of dispute in that. I actually kind of think he's, he's underrated. The run in strike force through to the UFC title is 14 and one. And the loss is Vitor Belfort in prime TRT era, Vitor Belfort in Brazil. Everybody else, as you said, for the most part, is getting finished and getting stopped. And he walked in when he and Chris Weidman, and, and I covered that fight live. I covered the lead to that fight with both of them. 
they were they were at the at the peak of their powers. They were the two best middleweights on the planet, and they had a good friendly rivalry of let's just see which one of us is the best th- early thirties, good looking, can carry the flag for the UFC middleweight. And Rockwell made it clear that it's him. And yes, everything went downhill from there. Absolutely. And he is going to be one of the prototype guys we talk about going forward of things fell off a cliff and he couldn't figure out what went wrong. He went searching for answers. He got hurt. He had issues with his shin. We saw him with the with the sleeve on last night. Almost lost his leg, I believe, at that time. Almost lost well. his leg. Like So to even come back from that, I think, you know, is, is an achievement in its own right. Like, it kind of felt like me this week um, that Luca Rockhold was kind of on a little bit of a farewell tour, to be honest. Yep. Um, and I was very harsh in my in my assessment of the fight. Um, but what I was just going based off what I had seen. Um, and I wasn't really buying into the talk of Luke Rockhold as well, who always had a good ability to kind of, you know, talk to talk, say what convince, he felt. Sometimes convince you that it's going to look away. He yeah. thinks it's going to look absolutely. Yeah. And 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 you know, a little bit of nonsense in inside and outside of those comments as well. But you look at that; that happens. You have to have that belief. But I was worrying he was kind of get a little bit uh, like delusional in what he was thinking, and I was worried about his cut down to the middleweight. I thought that cost uh, if he had connected properly, and he did connect properly early would have put Luke Rockhold out. So, I mean, immediately into the fight, Costa landed some good heavy shots early days and Rockhold took yeah. them. So I was like, oh, well, there's something ticked off the off the list. Uh, he's able to take them. He wants to be in there. Um, you know, it wasn't looking great maybe towards the end of the first round with a busted nose, wide open mouth, hands on his, on, his, on his two ties at the end of the round. But you know what? He showed the heart and he showed the durability and he showed the want to be in there. And, and, he somehow kept it competitive throughout. Now, I think this could be to the fault of Costa and the way he fought as well. I think that he didn't set up his shots all that good. He was going head hunting throughout the yeah. fight. He was throwing weird kind of energy draining techniques where he ended up tiring out then. And when right. you have two guys that are tired out, you throw that fight into the air because anything could happen. But you know, our memories of Luke Rockhold, if this is it, and hopefully it is for him, um, you know, won't be one of him getting starched. It'll be a, a good battling, grueling fight. It'll be the fuck you left hand that he throws and lands on Costa in round three. <laughs> the Tyler Durden, you don't know where I've been, Lou, wiping his blood all <laughs> yeah. over his face. Yeah. All that blood over his face. That's an all-time moment inside the Octagon. Yeah. Like, I tweeted that last night. I mean, like, <laughs> have you seen something like that yeah. before? It just kind of... It just kind of puts that asterisk on the lunacy of the sport overall that, you know, after a big grueling fight like that, that <laughs> it just yeah. want to rub your nose blood into somebody's face. And shouts to Eric McGracken, the, the combat attorney on Twitter who posted this morning asking if that should be outlawed. It's not illegal officially. He is part of the ABC Rules Committee. Asked if that should be outlawed. I voted yes because it's just kind of gross. Like yeah. actively rubbing it on somebody else. Yeah, it's the not trips, great. These it's... things are going to happen, right? There's going to be an exchange anyways. But just pulling the Tyler Durden is is a little bit much. But look, you got to do what you got to do when you're in there, I guess. And <laughs> I look, at I honestly, I think, you know what? A better fighter would have probably gotten Rook Rockhold out of there last night. 
Um, yeah. you know, there would have been other fighters in there that would have put their punches together that wouldn't kind of have exerted energy the way Costa did. You know, to give Costa his credit, uh, you know, he did look good in the grappling department too. You know, many were saying that Rockhold was going to go in and take him down and and, and dominate him, but he showed good strength, good technique early in the fight too as well to kind of, you know, give Rockhold some of, uh, amount of doubt and saying, well, you're not going to take me down. And I, I do have the ability to dominate these grappling exchanges, but two of them just got into a head hunting battle and two of them went into kill mode. And that's when technique goes out, out the window. That's when sense goes out the window and it just turned into a battle of wills and a battle of heart. And ultimately, you know, Costa landed the bigger shots throughout the fight and definitely deserved to take the uh, to take the, the the fight on the scorecards. And I think 30 to 27 was a fair, fair um, kind of result to, to, to put down on the fight from all the judges. Um, but the score, if you're just to read the ter- unanimous decision, 30 to 27, that doesn't tell the full story right. of the fight. There was some some great exchanges. There was some good moments for Rockhold as well. Uh, but ultimately, I think he knew and we knew that he said it himself. I'm getting fucking old, man. And it's tough Aren't to go in there as all, an old man. Yeah. Aren't we all? We're getting old looking at it, man. And we're not even in there oh, going through the motion. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Move to the middle fight of the main card. Marab Dwalishvili pushes his winning streak to eight. The unanimous decision win over Jose Aldo. 29-28 twice. 30-27 once. So we were all on the, this is like, look, as much as we're analysts, as much as we're journalists, as much as we are impartial, we all thought this was a fight that sets up well for Jose Aldo, whose takedown defense is amongst the best of all time. We saw it on on Saturday. The takedown defense was there. It held up. Marab went over. But the pressure and the pace and the just, as we said with Kamaru Usman, the constant presence of, of Marab Dwalishvili combined with the altitude of Salt Lake City, which I think a lot of people didn't didn't remember, didn't plan for, didn't get you know get themselves ready for, myself included. Yeah, Me, we man. were talking. Harry and I were talking last night when we were doing sort of the the text updates of like I listen, I shit the bed and didn't factor it in, and I'm a guy that's lived in altitude before. Yeah, it was completely, I was thinking exactly the same thing last night as well. I was like, I did not factor in that Salt Lake City was at altitude and how badly it was going to affect some of these fights. And, you know, my assessment of this fight in particular, Aldo and Yashvili, would have been probably a little bit different, right? you know, whereas I wouldn't have been as, look at, I think to go back what we were on, sometimes your heart can rule your head. And I think that's what happened maybe with myself uh, where, you know, I just didn't give Dashvili enough credit um, that, and you know, the fact that he is also developing as a fighter as well and looking better than he has in previous fights. And I think that was on show, you know, confident moving around on the feet um, not letting Jose Aldo get and settle to, to get off his big shots. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, why didn't Aldo fire off? Well, you know, probably the altitude and his cardio was something that was on the back of his mind, but it was also Deashvili's movement where he wasn't settling. He he was yeah. always moving laterally. laterally. Um, he wasn't letting Aldo sit or, 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 or sit down on his punches or get settled to get off his shots as well. So yeah, I think you have to give a lot of credit from Rab. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he was in on the legs and he was in on the hips yeah. the whole time, right? As soon as, like, 
Aldo gets point, not points in scoring, but points like as we're giving him plaudits for the performance, mm. gets points for shutting down all of those takedowns. And that was the question that we had. We were wondering, can Aldo stop the takedown? And yes, he could. He but could. He couldn't stop the pressure. But, and that's the thing, right? You would see Marab get rebuffed. He'd reset and he'd just get right back in there. And that's as much as you want to say, well, why is it as much as you ask as you're watching the fight? Well, why isn't Aldo throwing here? And why isn't he doing more? Well, he can't really throw a whole bunch of kicks because Marab's going to catch that and put him on the ground. He threw the knee up the middle a couple of times, landed well. It's it's a big, powerful knee. The one that put Chad Mendes out back, back in the day in Rio. But it's just that constant pressure. It's just that constant presence. And I wrote last night that Marab might be the one guy in the UFC that can win a fight without landing a big strike and without taking, like without submitting you, but just beat you with his sheer pressure and suffocate you by constantly making you work and exhausting you by forcing you to be so defensively minded and do so much work to fend off just his grappling, just his pressure on you. Because he's now one eight straight in what we all agree is the best division in the UFC. And at a certain point, it kind of feels a little bit to me like Leon Edwards. At a certain point, you have to just go, okay, this dude is fucking for real. And it's not that Jose Aldo's getting old and only just because of the altitude. Because Jose Aldo was just as old mm-hmm. when he beat Rob Font and just as old when he beat Pedro Munoz and only a year younger when he beat Marlon Vera that Marab Dwalishvili is very much one of these contenders in this division that is full of contenders right now. Yeah, I think that's what I that was a big um a big kind of thought that I was having to myself, you know, watching the fight last night, processing it after and then watching it again this morning was is like I don't want to lean down the road of Jose Aldo is not the same as he was anymore because that's not Marab Deshvili's fault and I think that you described it perfectly is that you know Marab Deshvili knows what he needs to do to win fights and he's not afraid to do it he knows what fighter he is he knows where he's strong his gas tank is next to none um, and that showed again, he didn't need like in comparison to all the rest of the fighters, he looked relatively fresh at the end of that fight ever, at altitude. He looked like he could go a couple yeah, of more rounds as well. To go two more rounds, he was and fun. I remember the commentary team, were, yeah, the commentary team are saying, Imagine this guy at five rounds, and we may see you know a different fighter again over five rounds. I was impressed, you know, Mardishvili is in order to get what he needed to get done last night, he, he did have to somewhat go through a certain level of fire, uh, of fire to do it, you know, because Jose Aldo wasn't going 100%. to let him, yeah, it wasn't going to let him enter into the clinch or close the distance without trying to punish him. And he was showing the knee early in the fight. That was what he was doing to try and deter uh, Dash Philly from, from coming in and closing the distance. And, you know, he timed a couple of lovely knees to the body as well as Dash Philly was coming in. But unfortunately, with a guy like Marab, he's willing to take that damage. Yeah, he yeah. just doesn't care. He just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And you he look did at this, it also well. Uh, I'm sorry, you look at this division now. Marab came into that fight at number six, Jose Aldo at number three. Obviously, we've got a bunch of fights in this division booked over the next couple of months. When I look at sort of trying to forecast out the landscape of what may come next kind of thing, Marab has a style that 
everybody's going to have a problem with it. Like, yeah, it, it's not going to do him too much favors with the with the UFC brass. And even right. Dana was saying last right. night, you know, he didn't he do himself any favors. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's where that's likely where you're going to probably see him matched a little bit more difficultly from now on. He will um, have he will have the toughest road of anybody, but I also think that like he also fought the guy with some of the best takedown defense in the world, like against some of these other folks. Is he maybe putting them down on the second attempt or the third attempt? Does it look kind of like the Usman Edwards fight where Edwards stuffs the first couple and has some success early, but the later we go, as we're talking about this guy in a five round fight, does he just wear on you to where? Those takedowns come in the third and opportunities present themselves. Or they come even easier in the fourth and opportunities present themselves. I'm very much intrigued to see how things shake out in this division throughout the next kind of eight weeks through the event in, in Abu Dhabi, UFC 280, and then seeing who Marab gets matched up with. I think it will be the most difficult test of the people that aren't in immediate championship contention, but I still really want to see it because, because I do believe this is a guy that we have to talk about and we have to at least consider in this championship mix right now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think next he needs to be put in a five round main event on possibly a fight night card against one of those guys. Let's see him at five rounds and let's see how someone can kind of handle that pressure yeah. And 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 handled kind of you know the the pace that he's able to set because he obviously has and it's no secret he has tremendous confidence in his gas tank where he can force that um, you know it's maybe trying to turn the corner a little bit for him now where he he probably, I don't know whether he cares or not but he doesn't want to be known as a guy who is a born fighter who is not exciting or he doesn't want to be kind of. It's not going to do well for him from the business side of things for the UFC. So if we can see him maybe turn a corner and maybe get off some damage in those maybe clinch positions rather than, you know, he's doing his thing. He's staying active. That's right. all he did last night against Aldo was stay active with the right. knees and can just doing more enough. damage. Can there yeah. be something a little but bit But it's bigger. up to Aldo to get Aldo is there and he's yawning and he's gesturing to the crowd. No, you don't fucking do that. You yeah. you, you get Smash your underhooks. You, yes, you get Dig your underhooks. You get away. Yeah, That's you need right. to do something, and it'll be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see. I, I don't even want to say who he's going to fight next because, like you said, it, I think it's important to let all the rest of these fights play out, yep. see what happens, see how guys win, and you know the fights are going to make themselves eventually. So, um, and there and there are lots of interesting options. So we'll get lots of choice. A hundred percent. That bantamweight division right now is a hotbed of talent. So, um you can just match almost anyone up together yeah. and you know, you're going to see a certain level of excitement and drama and, um, you know, high, high level mixed martial arts as well. Yeah. Should be great. Regardless of who it is. We'll keep moving forward here. At UFC 278 women's bantamweight bout. Lucia Pudilova returns to the UFC defeats Wu Yanan in the second round. TKO stoppage with elbows. Not going to spend a lot of time on it just because this is look, it's a good win for Lucia Pudilova to come back to get a victory Two and five in the UFC in her first run, fought some tough competition, was always kind of game, but it just didn't work out. I don't want to, I don't want to get into too much of what it means because she beat a fighter that is now on a four-fight losing streak, is one in five in the UFC. It's a good effort. She fought a hundred percent to her strengths and her advantages. 
let's see the next one. That's all that's all this was for me was great. She's back. She gets a good win. Let's see the next one. Yeah, I think Pujalova just she she kind of you know, the question was how how has her grappling progressed? You know, she, she's moved over to SBG over with John Cavanagh has been doing some work over there. He was in her corner last night. Yeah. And you know, she she ticked off a couple of boxes there, but like you said it was I'd be of the same opinion. It was like that's a good performance. It's noted uh, right. landed some good shots uh, in the striking, um, got the takedown, did very little damage on top uh, in in round one. I, I'm wondering um, what it didn't go. Did it go to? It didn't even go to round two, did it? Or did it, it go, did go to round? Yeah, two. it did go to round two. Yeah, so like that was yeah that was I just checking my notes. I think in round one when she did get into top control, there was was not any damage at all. So that's why right. I have a note here saying that the corner advice and the corner work throughout from John Kavanaugh and the rest of her team was very good in guiding her to victory. You know, he, John Kavanaugh was the one who shouted for her to take the back. She did moved into Mount and, and there was no fear of her not landing, landing any damages in round yeah. two. Once she got off on those elbows, it was vicious, but I mean, you know, job done. It's not going to answer too many questions for us. And if Harry was here, he would be praising her for actually getting off those elbows instead of just hunting for finishes. Exactly. We talk about all the time, right? And that was one the difference between hang out one someone. and two. Exactly. That was, if anybody ever wants to understand why Harry and I drone on about it every Sunday, go and watch the, go and watch this fight. Round one, she hangs out. She's not doing much. Even in round two, when she gets that takedown and she gets to a dominant position, she's starting to look for submissions and there's nothing there. And when there's nothing there, you got two options continue hunting and trying really hard and fighting and hand fighting and all of that shit or just smash home elbows because most people don't like being elbowed in the head repeatedly and will kind of look for the way out as Wu Yanan did. Good win for Lucia Pudilova. Welcome back to the UFC. Let's see the next one. Yeah, indeed. I think, you know, the use of the elbow, if we were going to get a little bit more technical in ground and pound, I think is going to be a huge thing in the coming years because, you know, when you are you have the ability to kind of maybe lower your base when you are getting those elbows in rather than the old school way of ground and pound where you want to posture up and land strikes that means you can create some like unnecessary space in order to sweep or anything like that but you know i think pudgelova did very well to land those elbows also you know i was very impressed with her movement and her boxing on the feet as well never panicked anything never rushed anything was always just out of the way of punches and got off a couple of nice shots in round two as well before the fight eventually went down and was finished. So on yeah. to the next one, as we say. Yeah. She just looks like a more mature fighter, which is understandable. She's 28 now. She's had some experience. She's gotten some stuff out of the way. We'll see how this second tour of duty continues either later this year or in the next opening bout of the main card. Tyson Pedro runs through Harry Hunsucker TKO in 65 seconds. Look, I'm not going to, spend a lot of time on the actual result itself it went how we thought it would go we talked about it on the preview show you were really upset that this this was booked this way i kind of made the case for look i understand it tyson pedro was off for three and a half years let's get him one more we've gotten him the one more yeah. now now my question to you is where does tyson pedro fit in this division what do you want to see for him next, given these two dominant wins this year? I think it's it's time to make a serious move into the light, light heavyweight division for, for Tyson Pedro. I call this 
a hit job on the preview show and that's exactly what it was 100 percent. yeah it was a hit job and you know look at he went out there my notes for this fight is the easiest notes that i take this is all my notes says pure domination by pedro a jab lovely teep to the body lovely finish job done he got in there he got to experience it he has a two fight win streak now coming back off 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 a long layoff now it's time to get into the business ends of things i'm looking at i'm looking at someone like jimmy crew let's let's have let's have uh let's have a, a southern head hemisphere battle maybe in melbourne early next year um that's what i'd be looking at for tyson pedro crew is now ranked at 15 in the light heavyweight division i think that it's a good solid test you know, you could even look at someone like Justin Dustin Jacoby as well uh, as another good test. I'm looking at 14, 15 in the rankings. That's where Tyson Pedro should be looking at next. Um, I can't remember if he called out anyone or if he's looking to fight any of that kind of competition, but I'm sure, I'm sure he's looking for a step up in competition for his next fight because his last two fights were more so one-sided and easy, and he's happy to be in there, feel the mat on his feet, get the wins. Uh, get your win bonuses but now it's time for for top 15 uh competition in my opinion what are you thinking first and foremost this is how you get yourself invited back every time harry needs a break by <laughs> answering questions that i hadn't even fully prompted going straight to the rankings and giving me absolute names right away so well done ian <laughs> i'm in the same boat i pulled up the rankings i said okay who's who's the bottom third in the top 15 who are those names? And it's Nikita Krylov, it's Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, who's booked, uh, and then Dustin Jacoby and Jimmy Crute. I like the Jacoby matchup. He's a guy that's on a undefeated streak since coming back to the UFC. He's a veteran guy. He's a kickboxer that's going to be willing to stand in there with you. It's, to me, the right amount of risk without it being too much of a big step, right? The thing with Tyson Pedro for me when he started was that light heavyweight wasn't as, and I can't believe I'm using this word to describe light heavyweight, deep as it is now. You would win two fights, and then you'd get thrown in with somebody where it's above your head. And that's what happened with him, right? Wins his first two, Khalil Roundtree, Paul Craig, gets thrown in with Alir Latifi, and Latifi's like, yeah, you're not ready for this. Come on, man, I ride horses bare-chested. I got you all day. And then he wins one. And then it's somebody else that beats him. And then it's Shogun that beats him. And then it's the time off. I think we're at a point now where it doesn't have to be okay. And all of a sudden you're facing a former title challenger. All of a sudden you're in there with, you know, Dom Reyes or, or somebody like that. It doesn't have to be Volkan Uzdemir next. It can be Dustin Jacoby, who's also in a let's see where he really fits kind of mold. I like the timeline. First and foremost, he'll be heading to Paris in a couple of weeks to hang out with his brother-in-law, Taitu Ivasa. But it's a good win, keeps him moving forward, and we move forward as well. To the prelims, the final bout of the prelims, Marcin Taibura gets a majority decision over Alexander Romanov, 29-28 twice, and a 28-28 draw from one official. First loss for Alexander Romanov, very good win for Marcin Taibura. This is why we have tests, right? This is, this is why we put these people that are emerging fighters is why we put emerging athletes through all of these tests. Romanov was a massive favorite. He looked great in the first round, but he also spent all of that energy. And Tybura, being a veteran, was just like, great, 
I'll hang out here. Yeah, this sucks, but I'll I'll be here in round two, and I'll be here in round three, and gets the victory. What were your thoughts? What you said are pretty much my thoughts exactly <laughs> as well, to be honest. But I'll try and and, and sugarcoat it a different way. Um, like you said, you're putting in a guy like Romanov who is undefeated in with a guy like Tybura exactly for what we seen for last night. You know proper tests um, the competition that Romanov would have fought previously likely would not have gotten out of round one to be honest you know uh, Romanov was super dominant there the the fight kind of reminded me of uh, what way I was kind of thinking for the co-main event of last week between Onama and Landwehr as well where is that sometimes you'll face these tests and you won't have the answer for what you're dealt with because you're just dealing with a different level of competition, especially when you come into the UFC. Now, this can happen in a non-ranked fight. It can happen in a fight outside the top 10, and it can happen in a championship-level fight. It's just sometimes you're just faced with a different level of competitor that you have not faced before, and you just haven't had the experience to know how to deal with what you have to deal with. And I think this is the case for Alexander Romanov last night, where he, he got in, he got dominant in the grappling exchanges he he almost got the fight finished I, I i believe i didn't get the chance to watch that back this morning but i do believe that herb was or whoever the ref was at that time was looking closely at certain yep. times of that fight and you know it was tiberia's kind of willingness to move and just do enough at that time that probably saved them from getting stopped um but tibura came through that fire in round one and, and kind of asserted his game plan into round two it's a simple it's it's a simple analogy of this, and I can guarantee you that this is what Alexander Romanov was thinking coming out for round two. He was like, Holy shit, I've given a good lot to this fella, and he's still here, and he's still on his toes, and he's still coming forward, and that's what Tybura did in rounds two and rounds. And my three. legs feel heavy, yeah, and my and, arms feel heavy, yeah, and my lungs are fucking burning. He's like, this has worked for me before. Why isn't it yeah. working now? But, you know, that's, like you said, that's the test that we're looking for, for these fighters, you know. And, you know, he'll have answered a couple of questions about himself and for us as well. Whereas that he just needs a little bit more work, I think, um, in in these situations. I think his decision to kind of make it a striking fight in round three was one that he'll regret, I think, for a long time. Didn't wet, probably down to tiredness, probably down to the altitude, but at least maybe try attempt to open it up on the feet. You know, at the start of round three, he's coming in doing the alley shuffle and everything like that. And then at the end of round fucking three, he's struggling to get his hands right. up to protect his chin. So it's right. like, you know, those are the little things that I'm saying, but that's all down to experience. He's going to learn a lot yep. from that. Um, you know, he, as the fight was ending, he ended up on his back. I mean, there was loads of things that he'll need to be looking at. Um, maybe coming in a little bit lighter might be a thing for him uh, so that he, he doesn't have to carry around his weight all that much, which will help him kind of with his cardio coming towards the later rounds well, of the fight. The thing I was thinking is that first round, as dominant as it is, and as much as you love to see somebody be that dominant, you also don't need to lift a 260-pound man into the sky and 100%. slam him to the ground repeatedly. <laughs> Right, like there were three instances where he just hoists Marcin Tybura up into the air, and two of them he scoops him over and slams him to the mat. 
if you can get them down by minimize and minimize some of that expenditure, you're in a better position. And that's the thing that we've seen from loads of fighters over the years, loads of grapplers. Let me get this to where I want it to be with the least effort possible. So if I can just get in and get a body lock and hit a trip, that works just as well as me scooping this dude into the air and slamming him to the ground. Now, it maybe doesn't have the same visual impact with referees and officials and, you know, the crowd. It doesn't get the same pop that you get from, from slamming them to the canvas. But you might land in the same kind of position and you're still going to have a little more energy. Exactly. And those are the things that you just learn as you're starting to face tough old veteran bastards like March and Tibera that are going to hang around and be like, yeah, fine. Punch me. It's, it's fine. I've been literally the only guy on the card that had been to Salt Lake city before for a fight. So he comes through, gets the win. It's a learning opportunity for Romanov. We'll see what happens. Lightweights, Jared Gordon gets a unanimous decision win over Leo Santos, 30, 27s across the board. Kind of just a fight that that will not spend a ton of time on. I liked the bodywork of Jerry Gordon. He did good things to get inside and get this to where he needed to be successful. I think some of this comes down to age. Some of this comes down to prep. Some of this comes down to just Jared Gordon being a more well-rounded fighter and a more still still hanging on to the tail end of his prime fighter than the 42-year-old. It's so it's so maddening to me. We talk about Leo Santos being so old, and I'm older than Leo Santos. I know. And I unfor- my head in shame. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, unfortunately for Leonardo Santos, he did look a little bit old last night. Yep. And, um, you know, both fighters coming into this at the start were a little bit reluctant, reluctant to get off their strikes. They both were trying to counter each other. And I think Jared Gordon made a decision about two or three minutes into the fight that he was going to take the lead and he was yeah. going to be first. And I think that's the best decision that he made all the fight. Landed some good body work, um, landed some good flurries towards the end of round one. And that kind of set the pace for the rest of the fight, really. He he got the confidence that he was quicker than Santos on the feet. He got the confidence that Santos was unable to hurt them. And, you know, he just put that pressure on for the rest of the fight and got off his shots. Um, I think there was a double cage grab by by uh, by Jared in the second round that kind of there, cost there Santos. There were a, a li- couple cage grabs by Jared Gordon that were a yeah. little dicey and like, it was funny. I don't know if you listened with, with the comms on last night. I did for the first time in a while. And DC had a couple moments throughout the night where it was like, but they changed the fight so much. And it's like, dude, we've been yelling about this for years. <laughs> yeah, Welcome yeah. to the club. Welcome to the party. And I, I, it was in, it was, it was Herb Dean, I believe, in the main event that kind of handled reset the situation them. like that, really, where it reset. And we need to see more of that. Obviously, yeah. First of all, we need to fucking see the cage grabs and you and you need to be on top of that if you're a referee yes. as well. And there was two of them in a row. There was two chances he had there as well. And you know what? If Santos had have got the fight down and finished on top, you know, that was a close round. It could have gave him the confidence to bring into round three and get the job done as well. But, you know, he offered very little in round three going into there. And, and, and Gordon was the one who ended up getting the takedown in round three and landing some good good ground and pound just maybe to i'm curious to get your opinion on this uh something that i said last night maybe jared garden might have sealed himself 
a fight with Paddy Pimblett? Is that too much of a jump for Paddy Pimblett at this stage, or what do you think? I just, my I mean, the reason they had I talked was... about it before, right? It it was sort of like floated out there as an idea before, and then it didn't come to pass. Yeah, and it was there were rumors that it was going to happen in the last London card. I just not looking at it. I mean, I thought Gooden was good last or Gordon, excuse me, was good last night, but not exceptionally good. Looked very beatable. I'm just wondering, it's, it's not it's, it's the, is yeah, Paddy it's, at it's that right, is Paddy right, at that level? Yet? It's the right range for Paddy. Like if yeah. you want to give him the step up, I think Sean and I on the State of the Union were were sort of throwing some names around. And the one I always come to is Jamie Malarkey. He's 500 in the UFC, bit of sandpaper to him, but but also beatable. I think Jared Gordon's a little bit of a tough out for Patty, but it's also the right test, right? Like at a certain point, you have to stop protecting this dude. You have to stop giving yeah. him cupcake matchups. And that's not to, you know, completely shit on Jordan Levitt and Luigi Vendramini and Kazula Vargas, but it's to mostly be like, look, look with all due respect to those, right? to beat you. He, he's this been beating the bottom of the, he's been beaten yeah. of the bottom of the trash pile and in so, the I mean, lightweight division. It's certainly interesting. I think it's a very, I think it's the kind of fight that if we do the Leon Edwards Kamaru Usman trilogy in London or Cardiff, as you're saying, if you want to go stadium, that can open your main card. That can be your first 100%. fight of the main card. Jared Gordon's in the blue corner. Patty comes out second and gets to do his walkout. And it's a big moment. And it's a test, right? It it gives everybody the opportunity to see, is this kid for real? Yeah, and, and it's I a good story yeah, for, really good. for for Gordon. It's a good story as well. You know, his story alone, you know, coming back from addiction, battling back from all the stuff that he's had to battle back in his career so far. You know, it's a story that the UFC can tell. It's a story that Paddy can kind of come in on as well. And I'm sure, look, there'll be plenty of talk and this and that after the fight. But I can guarantee you to be utmost respect from the two of those guys. And, you know, just I, I'm thinking of all kinds of scenarios when I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wanting this fight. And I'm also thinking about Gordon getting in there and getting the job done. And, you know, what, Paddy can still leave that fight as a winner if he handled the loss well and gave Jared Gordon his props for coming back and doing all of this. But it's the type of fight that if it's not the next for Paddy, it'd be something along those lines to yeah, fight it's, after. It's, it's no more than two fights away. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But look, at good, fair fair play to Gordon. It was a good performance last night against Santos, who, who looked a shadow of his former self, to be honest, in there. And... um you know, we might not see him too much more inside the octagon, unfortunately for him. Shifting to the featherweight division, a fight that this this is all the reaction I can give you. May I may I take the famous words of of, of your partner in crime here, Mr. Harry Powell, and just say number one for this fight is fuck weight cutting. <laughs> because yes, that, that is certainly part of it. So what we're talking about is the featherweight Sean Woodson. And Luis Saldana fight to a split draw, the rare split draw. 29-27 each way, and then 28-28. This fight, man, my, ta my takeaway that I wrote about last night was just terrible, terrible fight IQ from Luis Saldana. Shocking. Who, who drops Sean Woodson in the first round and walks away from him and does the, like, come meet me over here. Bad enough. Bad enough. Then Sean Woodson gets up and is like, fine, I'll come and meet you over there. And he gets dropped again. And Luis Saldana takes a little momentary pause. 
and then run runs forward and slams a knee into his head while he's still on the ground doesn't understand what he's done and climbs on the cage and starts giving the like 514 because he's from he's from Iowa and celebrating and Mike Beltran has to be the like principal that's pulling him off the fence like get down here young man this fight isn't over you're being deducted a point and this may be done I tweeted out he's celebrating like he won and he might get DQ'd now Sean Woodson for whatever reasons is just like nah bro I'm good let's go And then we get two rounds of just kind of like tired. I was in complete amazement (laughs) at what I was looking at last. I was like, I didn't know what was going on on the initial shot that landed from Saldana. Look, let's let's as the fight kicked off. Immediately, I was worried for Woodson because he didn't seem to me, based off previous fights, to be moving all that good. Didn't look sharp. Looked lethargic when he was moving. Looked lethargic when he was showing his shots. And Saldana can fucking bang. He's got big power, and we've seen that. But Woodson is such a big guy. It's got to be a struggle for him to get down to 145. Like, the size of that man alone. And I'm just wondering how much that is taken away from his ability and from his chin as well. And I think, you know, in certain terms, he kind of got away with it a little bit last night, the way the fight played out. And it was more down to Saldana's lack of IQ and just plain stupidity if i must if i can say that to be honest to run away when he has a guy hurt to throw illegal shots when he has a guy hurt it's it's a classic case of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory there for saldana you know and obviously getting caught in that boogie choke in round two pretty much won the round for woodson saldana did enough to win in round three but i think at that stage the adrenaline dump had happened for saldana he he wasn't you know when you think you have won a fight you know, you're green. You think that fight could be stopped through the legal blow? Those are a lot of emotions. That's a lot of an ener- energy drain to somebody when they're in there. And I think we kind of saw that in round three, where he just didn't have enough kind of juice left to he, maybe he's get a Woodson guy out that there. We already talked about on the preview show as being someone that kind of lets fighters hang around, lets opponents stick in a fight. Doesn't really have that. Doesn't have the go that you want to see. And I think we saw that in Spades on Saturday. And then to compound that with, well, I thought I had it won, and now I'm dealing with this guy still here, and my corner's telling me it's close, and I'm trying to convince myself that it's not that close because, hey, I dropped him, and I I had him rocked, and I had him hurt. What do you mean this is close? Well, you lost a point. Somehow, an official didn't score the, the second round for Sean Woodson even though he had the most effective anything of the round. And yeah, it was a clear round for Woodson. That I mean, I think Sean Sean Sheehan, the great Shawnee T podcast, can maybe speak on that at some point. I'll have to send a question into the q and I don't know if you're going to go in and disrupt that this week. but I'm not sure. I don't think but, I'm scheduled But we'll get that week. out there to him to, to address that round, maybe in particular. But just brutal IQ. Just brutal from a, from a kid that needed a win like that, that needed a big victory, right? He's had some success, but they've all been sort of fights that you don't necessarily remember. They've all been 29, 28 kind of slogs where he's let guys hang around. This was a chance to put away a guy that a lot of people have high hopes for, a lot of people have expectations of, or at least positive vibes for. And you let it slip away. You said it perfectly. Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. In this case, 
it's snatching a split draw, but still that's got to feel like it's got to feel like a loss for him. And, and, and I can tell you something for nothing. When he looks at his pay packet, whenever it eventually <laughs> does come in, he's going to know that it's going to feel like a loss as well. Cause you ain't getting that win bonus for a draw either, you know? So look at those are little things he's going to have to look on. Like, you can't blame him for inexperience because he's got enough in cage experience. Yeah, he's got 20 some odd fights. This yeah, he's, is, yep. he's got the maturity in there to, that you would think that he he wouldn't make mistakes like that. Did he get caught up in the moment? Perhaps he did. I'm not too sure, but those are those are massive, massive mistakes. And he he looked really fucking good until he looks made great. those mistakes. Until, yeah, looks and I great. Think it can't. It has to be said how men, how the mental side of things really affects you in there. And you can mentally drain yourself as well. You can get those adrenaline rushes. You don't have to go mad throwing strikes and going for takedowns right. over and over again to get tired. You can mentally drain yourself in there as well. And I think after what happened in round one with him kind of walking away and not finishing the fight and then landing the illegal shot, I think he kind of mentally drained himself and gave himself a little bit of an adrenaline dump threw away round two and then just didn't have enough in the tank to kind of win convincingly in round three. And it was, you know, he needed to kind of get out there and get the finish really in round three. And he put that pressure on himself after getting the point taken for the illegal knee and dropping round two as well. So look at, he's not going to have a good time looking back on that fight. I don't think Saldana is, but um, I don't know. Do we do this again? I don't know if nah. I want to see Sean Woodson Move fight on. too too much more at Featherweight, to be honest. I just I'd be I just want to see him fight maybe at a more natural weight, maybe at lightweight, just to see what kind of a fighter that he is. Yeah, let's see that. one. Yeah, let's see one and see how much it takes away because he's a big ass guy. He's long, he's he's six foot two as a featherweight. I can't imagine that that's a good cut. And you know, when we see him getting dropped and getting hurt like that. You know, it's not going to get any easier for him in there at Featherweight either. So right. it'll be interesting to see how it's all going to play out for Woodson and for Saldana. Opening fight of the televised prelims. Welterweight's Angelosa defeats AJ Fletcher by unanimous decision. This was basically Losa winning a war of attrition. Fletcher has some moments. Losa has some moments in the first round. Fletcher has some moments in the second, if I'm remembering correctly, or is it vice versa? Funny, you, bo- f- funny then, you say it because I was getting these guys mixed up when I was watching both them last night. Exhausted yeah, in the yeah. third, to I where people are like, "To fight, could to get you give Losa a ten eight because he's on top the whole way, and Fletcher isn't doing anything." And it's like he threw six punches and was exhausted. So no, no ten eights for anybody. <laughs> oh, no, exactly. Just not. a just a battle of two dudes that kind of punched themselves out at points they set a pace at the start of that yeah. fight that what might have lasted a little bit longer if they weren't that altitude but i think these two guys found out the hard way of how hard it is to fight at altitude and in a place like salt lake city or the other example i can think of maybe mexico city where it's kind of high altitude as well they set a serious pace and were just simply unable to kind of keep to that pace. Lusa came the closest to kind of finishing the fight. Uh, Fletcher started well, but Lusa came into it at the end of round one, I think. And, you know, in round two, Lusa almost got him out of there, but um, he chose to grapple instead of strike. I think he might have got him out of there if he had decided to stay on the feet, Lusa. But, you know, he chose to grapple and he probably did 
choose to do that because he was so damn tired in there and you know it was going to be easier for him to take Fletcher down and to remain on top and remain dominate dominant in the fight so yeah, yeah to, I mean to, neither to guy I mean my, to clear up my not remembering exactly who won which round Lusa wins the first Fletcher wins the second and has a rally towards the the sort of latter half of that round and then is just spent right like just just tried desperately to get him out of there. And Lucid was rocked. He was on skates to his credit. He survived it. He made his way through the hurricane and then was just the slightly less exhausted fighter in the third. The one thing that's interesting to me, so I cover the contender series for the UFC website. I've covered, I think literally every episode, just about every episode, or I miss one a year because I go on a little vacation. Fletcher is a guy that looked great in his win on the contender series. He's now 0-2 in the UFC. This to me is is why I was very hesitant to make any statements about contender series guys coming into this year, because I think for every one or two that I had genuine high hopes for, like a Michael Morales, like a Jack Della Maddalena, there were guys like AJ Fletcher, who had been undefeated on the regional circuit, but not really facing the best competition, not necessarily face fighting in the best promotions or the most established promotions. I don't, not disparaging where he fought, but just, you know, I, I put a lot of weight into guys that fight for CFFC, LFA, some of those bigger, more cage warriors over in. Yeah. In the same, Europe, I was going to say the same as we would probably back home, put right. in a lot of weight to these cage warriors guys. Right. Facing a good pedigree of competition. And so you can clearly see that he's athletic and explosive and has some stuff. But he feels to me like a guy that, and God, I, I hate this is my thought because I hate fucking weight cutting. But he feels like a guy that's a bit of a tweener. He's got a little bit of the T-Rex arms for welterweight. He's just a little bit undersized. And if he could make 55, it might go a little better for him. But yeah. I hate advocating for people cutting weight. It's that thing, isn't it? Yeah, if it's just something that makes sense, but you don't want it to happen because it's so. But like, that's probably the worst predicament that you can be in, uh, yep. as a, for a fighter like Fletcher, where you are in between weights. You know what? You're either going to cut. You're you're either going to cut down serious amount of weight, and that can take some a certain right. level of, of of kind of skills away from your cardio and away to from fifty five is different than you know forty five to thirty five or. Because you're facing, and then you have the predicament. To, you know, if you are a tweener and you're fighting above the weight, that you're going to be always fighting probably naturally bigger guys, right? And it's yeah, going to look, cost you cardio and other... significantly bigger than him huge, on yeah. Saturday. And yeah, it's a predicament. I mean, you know, he's going to have to figure out himself because I think more so than anything else, you're definitely not going to get away with doing that inside the UFC. And unfortunately it hasn't worked out that well for Fletcher so far. So hopefully yeah. he can figure it out. But, um, you know, I, yeah, not big fan of weight cutting myself, but it might be something right. that he might need to look at, uh, for future UFC fights. Move to the early prelims. Emir Albazi returns after a 19 month layoff, gets a first round submission win over Francisco Figueredo. Look, we were all high on him coming into this. We were all looking forward to seeing this, finally seeing him back. Shows why. Delivers the dominant performance. Cuts a good promo afterwards. He's already ranked in the top 15 from his first two wins. I don't know that this necessarily moves him forward, 
but it puts him in that like, oh hell yes, match him up with anybody. We've got another one. We've got if, another yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. What were your thoughts on the Prince and where he fits in this division going forward? I thought it was a uh, look at it was the performance that someone like Albasi needs to come in here against a guy like Francisco Figueredo, who you know is familiar by quite a few. Obviously, his brother Davson is the champion at, at flyweight, but we've seen Francisco Figueredo in there and we know who he is at this stage as well. So it's important to go in and pick up wins against those guys. Um, a name, if you want to call it that. Look, I thought Figueredo offered very little here. I question his heart and his want to be in there, to be honest, at this stage. Um, he didn't offer all that much. I think Albasi came in and was just, he knew he was the superior fighter and he wanted to let Figueredo know that at the early stages of this fight. And Figueredo accepted that fact, got the fight down, was super. Like, I think he just absolutely destroyed Figgy Smalls. That's like, I think there's going to be a lot harder tests of flyweight for Amir Albazi. I think maybe we're reaching a little bit too hard if we were expecting him to get matched with top 15 next, but you want to be taking a massive jump. Um, up in competition, you want to be seeing what Albazi is like when he's back against the wall. Um, because I don't think Figueredo had the capabilities or the want or the drive or the heart to kind of make anything happen last night. Um, you know, he's out there, Figueredo talking about <laughs> wanting his brother to move up to the bantamweight division so he can fight for titles. I think you know, Figueredo needs yeah, to be thinking they, about they winning said something about him being a world class fighter. And if nah. it wasn't for his brother, we might be talking about, oh God, look at this. Nah, man. Uh, no, no, we wouldn't be. We unfortunately be for Francisco, when, when when the levels of skills and the other things acquired to, to be in a fighter were dished out in the Francisco or in the Figueredo family, I mean, unfortunately for Francisco, Davson got the bulk of a lot of... I the... mean, this is an Usman Brothers situation, right? <laughs> Absolutely this is, this is. is. the same thing. Francisco and Mo Usman. What way did Harry describe it so excellently? Is like Francisco is like the guy that Davson was forced to bring to the gym when he <laughs> yes. was younger so that he yes. could just... Drag him, him along. Yeah. You're allowed to go, but you have to bring Francisco with you. Go with your brother. I want you both out of the house. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think we've... I don't think... Look at... Albasi, look at great. His entry into the UFC, like I said, he came in and had a, a good win over Ireland's Ryan Curtis. Right. Came into the UFC now and has picked up good wins over Malcolm Gordon, Zamagulov, and now Francisco Figueredo. He's on the cusp of getting in a, a top 15 shot, but I think we'd give him another kind of a stiff test in the flyweight division. I wouldn't be too upset if it was outside the top 15. Um, I struggle to pull a name right now. So this may surprise you. He's already ranked number 11. Off, oh. those, off those two wins. Oh, and my so goodness. he's already in there. He's already and, there. All right. And I'm thinking maybe we rekindle that rivalry with Tim Elliott. They were yes. supposed to fight a Tim couple Elliott times. They wanted to team. talk some shit. They wanted to get after each other. Tim Elliott, for all of his you know setbacks and the record isn't pretty, his his yeah. Twitter handle and his, and his Instagram handle is correct. It is awkward MMA. He is a tough out. He is a guy that makes it dangerous. If you want to go somebody that's coming off a win, may I offer you a match now fight? Would you be Ooh, down for a match now fight? I am down for match now fighting anybody because that man is exciting as fuck. So yeah. um, that like, I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to get a fight in the flyweight division. In my opinion, that's not going to be exciting somewhere or another. Um, 
we're seeing a lot more dynamic fighters and getting and fighters who are are getting fights fights finished and getting fighters out of there too, which only makes the division a hell of a lot more exciting too. Agreed. Um, and I think Albasi is another one. I, I was, <laughs> I had him out with the rankings. Lucky I'm not, I'm not in control of the rankings. I would have, here I was <laughs> vying for him to stay out of the rankings and he's nestled nicely in there. So nestled uh, nicely in egg there. in my face for that one. <laughs> That's all right. We get to the second fight of the night. Ricky Lang gets a unanimous decision win over Jay Perrin wins the first two rounds. Perrin comes back in the third gets, gets that one, but it's 29, 28 across the board. Not a huge bunch of takeaways here. Ricky Ling feels like a guy that has reasonable power, good power for this division, is a nice sort of addition at the lower half, maybe lower third of the division as kind of a tough out exactly for these sorts of fights. And if he can string together maybe one or two more wins on this good start, then we start moving him up and seeing what he does in the in the real middle of, of the bantamweight division. Yeah, he's got a couple of tests to get to where he wants to be. But what he did show last night, Richie Lang showed he has good distance control. Um, I was very impressed by his shot selection at the start of the fight. Wasted nothing with his strikes, wasted very little with his movement as well. Um, you know, fighters that have the ability just to get out of the way of punches when you see a punch thrown that's only coming within a couple of millimeters from someone's face. It's not a close shot. That's excellent movement away. That's not over moving out of a way of a shot that's not over committing to any to any movement as well you know unfortunately Kamara Usman found out what happens when you can over commit to to a certain movement last night um but Arichi Lang looked good like I mean consistency throughout the fight lacked a little bit where he only looked good in spells of the fight other right. times he looked a little bit kind of you know getting taken down and accepting the fight on the ground a little bit but um, he also defended takedowns well in the fight, but he's going to have to find that level of consistency with performance throughout the fight if he's going to make waves in the bantamweight division for me. And I do think it will be interesting to see how the influence of Eddie Cha and the Fight Ready team impacts that going forward, right? A lot of these Chinese fighters started in the UFCPI or started getting really stringent coaching and really serious coaching in the UFCPI. We're now seeing them branch out a little bit more and work with different teams. I do think that will have an impact going forward. Opening, opening bout of the evening, easy for me to say. Victor Altamirano defeats Daniel De Silva. TKO late in the first round. Starts it with an absolutely beautiful knee to the body that just crumples Daniel De Silva. And then again, gets him out of there, punches and elbows, splits his wig, splits his wig open. Probably could have been stopped a little bit earlier. Felt a little bit like a regional ref kind of wanting to not get shit for stopping it too soon in his first UFC assignment. A good win for Altamirano, who dropped a split decision in his debut. A third straight loss for Daniel Da Silva. It's another interesting, all right, let me see more fighter in the flyweight division for us to consider. Yeah, absolutely. He looked he looked vicious. The wild exchange from the both of them at the at the start. It was like, yo, let's get going. Now we're yeah, getting we're wound not, up. We're not no feeling out. Time. Yeah. We're not feeling out here. That's good. But yeah, no, I think, you know, it kind of fell into Altamirano's hands a little bit that and you know, and uh, where the Silva was getting a little bit sloppy in the exchange, just left himself open to the knee to the body. Um, was the beginning of the end, really. Altamirano showed good killer instinct to get there, get the job done. Just a very impressive performance. A guy who's on my radar as well, but maybe 
I could maybe use my description of Albasi to kind of maybe describe uh, Altamirano and say, let's give him someone maybe a little bit further up but outside the top 15 and see how he does. But good performance last night and it was a good start to the, to the card as well. So um, overall, I mean, maybe just talk about the card overall. I think, like I said, we would have had probably a little bit of a different conversation because I think without the magic of the main event and what happened in the main event, this card kind of lacked a bit of excitement, lacked a little bit of jeopardy. Um, and probably I would have been complaining about it not being a good card or not being a good pay-per-view card. I think for me, you know, I'm a guy who will buy every single pay-per-view every every month. Um, so I feel, you know, if I'm going to spend my hard-earned money the same as the casual fan base or same as anyone who wants to spend their money to watch the pay-per-views, I think it does allow us to be a little bit more kind of um, strenuous in how we assess the card um, and, and how good or bad it is or if we got value for money. And I think up until around four minutes of round five, I was thinking that, yeah, we didn't really get that great value for money. But that was until Leon Edwards unleashed a holy hell of a kick and flatline Kamar Usman. And suddenly we had just witnessed history. So I think that was important for, for the event. It was important for the card. And, you know, it left us with a shit ton of questions that are going to be answered down the line as well, which is pretty exciting as well. It did. And and talking, as as we said, about sort of the overall of the card, the one sort of thing I would say, and, and I know Dana said afterwards that he'd really like to be back in Salt Lake City next year. If that's going to be the case, literally every fighter that's on the card needs about 15, 16 weeks of notice that that's where they're fighting so that they can do everything in their power to acclimate. Maybe you don't put heavyweights on the card, I know we had yeah. similar conversations about Denver at times because I can recall a pay-per-view. I want to say like UFC, it's not UFC 150. I'm thinking of 151. It was canceled. But there was one in Denver where um, I think it was the Ben Rothwell, Mark Hunt fight where they were just exhausted. And you were like, oh, why, yeah. are we, why are we doing heavyweights in Denver? Like, what are what are we thinking here? So maybe we give everybody as much notice as possible so that everyone can get acclimated when you're sending out the bout agreement, just put a little like added on there of like reminder, Salt Lake city is 5,000 miles above sea level. And it they will should really, send out, they should send out one really of, fuck with your conditioning. Yeah. If you're not prepared with the contract, Spencer, they should send out one of those tents that you can sleep in to acclimate. To the, that's yeah. it. Just send Some. one out with it. Here's what you need. You're going to need we to sleep in this for the yeah. next eight weeks to that's kind of right. get acclimated. So come out like, here two weeks early. Like I think Leon Edwards did the right thing. I know in, yeah. in prepping to get an interview done with him, he had come out good and early. And as, as they said on the broadcast, slept in one of those tents you're speaking about, the elevation tents. I think everybody needs to do it because it really is. I think that was the one factor that we and, and everybody else kind of forgot about was that this is different. This re like it's unless you've experienced it, it's hard to really comprehend what that level of elevation change does to you in terms of just everyday experience like even if you're just out walking around it's harder so then to add physical exhaustion and, and exertion into that it's a bitch and so if we're going back to salt lake city 
Let's give everybody a heads up. Let's get them all all one five minute rounds. That's what we want for for Salt Lake City. You know, don't don't let anybody get tired out. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 a thing and it's a major factor. You know, Dana kind of said, "Oh, you have to deal with that when you go to Vegas. You have to deal with that when you go here or there." But it's dealing with heat. In, in, rather than dealing with fighting at elevation is completely different in my opinion. You know, when the yeah. air is not there for you to take in and right. to recover, that's, and when you're not used to that and when you have not experienced that before, it's quite scary when you're in there as well. Like I've been in there, I've been in there and training and been out of breath, not due to, not due to lack of, uh, lack of air that's coming in due to the, right. the elevation where I'm at, but just being tired from, working hard and it's not a nice feeling to be in there and tired and then it must be even harder when you've put the work in and it's not translating over to the cage due to the elevation it's just that inability to get that oxygen into your lungs to kind of help you recover and we've seen it with a bunch of fighters last night um and yeah Yeah. something that needs to be kind of taken account of when we're having these events there certainly are climate considerations that have to be taken into into account no matter where you're fighting one I think that's something that the UFC should address with those athletes as they're sending out contracts and say like, look, here's, here's kind of, here's what Abu Dhabi is like at all times. Here's what it's like in Vegas. I mean, I've been to Vegas a bunch of times. It's a bitch. It's hotter than holy hell. It's hotter than holy hell. And you just do anything. And it's like, it's not like, you know, terrible air out there but it's not great either when you're yeah. fighting on the strip and you're no. you know it's like look the proof is in the pudding and we've seen time and time again you know fights that are held at a higher elevation yep. and above sea level it has a, a detrimental effect on, on on some of the athletes that are going in there to fight so yeah dana white can can say oh yeah you have to adjust to vegas and you have to just just hear well we've seen a ton of fights in vegas where fighters haven't appeared to be as affected with those conditions in comparison to say somewhere like Denver or Mexico city, well, or like we seen promotion, you should want to do everything in your power to allow those men and women to be at their optimum on fight night. It only makes for a better, better event and better returns for you. And so our recommendation, if anybody from the UFC catches this episode of the next day takeaways is give everybody as long as they can to prep for Salt Lake City or any fight at elevation or inclement climate, let's call it that, and do everything in your power to make sure that they are at their best when they do step in the cage. That's it for recap of the show. Before we get out of here, Ian, please let everybody know where they can follow all of your good work, all the things you do. I say it every time. I can't believe we got to the end of the show and it's the first time I've said, go subscribe to the Patreon. Severe MMA puts out the best content week to week, in my opinion, in the business. I don't say it just because they all come on the show with me and because they let me on their shows every once in a while. It gets you covered top to bottom from grassroots to the biggest fights in the, in the world. And it's constant. It's always showing up in your inbox. It's always showing up in your Patreon feed. Go and spend the couple of quid that it is to get the boys feed. It is well worth it. Indeed it is. You know, you can find all of my stuff over at severemma.com, uh, a lot of the podcasts on the Severe MMA Patreon. Uh, obviously, 
you do the preview show with me that goes live every Thursday on, on YouTube. I also have, if you're interested in more regional kind of podcast, the Owl Triangle, which is solely focused on Irish MMA from amateurs to mid-level pros to high-level pros. We cover it all for, for, for Irish MMA on the Owl Triangle. And, you know, it's important to do that, get, get into it at grassroots, but also it's great to, you know, come in and talk about the sport at the highest level too. And it was such a pleasure to get to speak with you about it and to do the preview show with you every week as well. It's just a real pleasure. And, you know, I kind of felt, I'm glad I got the opportunity. It kind of felt like a therapy session to where we could come <laughs> in here and we could break down what we went through last night and share our thoughts. And I actually, you know, I've answered a few questions and I feel a hell of a lot better than I did coming in where I was just like, I was like, why do I exist? Why am I here? What <laughs> happened last night before, after seeing what we've this seen? Is... Because that was a moment in time that's going to take uh, a little bit to get over to and uh, get over kind of the way we think about it and our thoughts and to process what happened and what's next. But uh, we, I think we got off to a good start here as well. I know that you will have plenty of more stuff this week on, on your keyboard, Kimura as well, that I'm looking forward to reading and everything like that. But appreciate you asking me on. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough tough job to fill the boots of mr powell he does such a great job here every week but uh i had a great time and and hopefully we can uh we well, can look, do it again we've got the banner made now and so whenever harry's <laughs> yeah. out you're getting the, you're getting the call you're you're only an hour ahead of me time wise so this works out you know putting yeah, it together good, bright and early great in the way to start a sunday great, great way, way to start, to start. A sunday morning i'll get this all uploading go have some brunch on my back deck with my wife and a cup of coffee as you said we're a little clearer now on what happened at UFC 278. We've got some of those ideas out of our heads. We don't have to spend the rest of the day walking around going, man, how did that happen? And I wish I could talk to somebody about it. Yeah, That's we, why we do the next We didn't want to be like the Pablo Escobar. I don't know that meme in, uh, from Narcos where he's on the swing on his own, just looking down and swinging over and back. That If I hadn't got on to talk to you this morning, that's probably what my Sunday would have looked like because <laughs> I'm just processing all these thoughts in my head. But, well, I'm glad nice to, to have spared you a solitary <laughs> swing moment on Saturday. <laughs> As Ian said, go follow all of his work over at Twitter at I O'Neill. Follow me as always at, at Spencer Kite. All the stuff is there. Thank you for following us. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving all your comments that have pushed me. Ian is one of the people that has pushed me to do more audio and video as well, splitting them into two so that he can listen while he's at work so that the YouTube feed doesn't constantly keep pausing and making him log back in. So we got you covered. The audio of this will be up on the newsletter. The video will be up on the YouTube channel. That's the way we're going to break things down for all of this kind of AV content. There will probably be more of it because Harry continues to push me to do more of it and has more ideas that he keeps throwing at me. Shouts to Harry and Imogen. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We love you. We appreciate you. Take care of yourselves. Be good to one another. And we'll talk to you next week.